Hey, before we get started, I just want to say thanks to Harisha K. Sherway and his podcast, Song Exploder, for inspiring one of the story threads in today's episode. I'll include a link to the specific episode in the show notes. If you like music, you're probably already listening to Song Exploder, but just in case, subscribe. Trust me. Okay, start the show. Over here, gentlemen. I I'm Joe Stracci, and I better start writing this down. Episode 7 The Most Fruitful Period of My Creative Life. I always thought. I'd be terrified to fly in an airplane. I didn't get the chance to find out until I was 19, on a flight to Miami. Me, my now wife, still only my girlfriend at the time, and her best friend all flew to Miami. When we got there, we rented a car and drove to Key West. We met up there with my best friend, who'd flown in from Seattle. Much to my disappointment, the flight was fine. I was surprised by the initial torque on the runway, and my mild acrophobia kicked in when I looked out the window and realized that we were no longer on the ground. And I was confused and panicky when the plane banked to the left or right the first couple of times. But after a while, the fear I'd created was gone. I remember feeling confused and even a little let down. I'm scared of heights, I told myself. I'm irrationally afraid of sharks, and by extension, swimming. Why aren't I scared of flying? I've come to find out since that my specific fear of heights is a form of OCD. That what if I threw myself off of this sensation that paralyzed me and still does, It's just a brain loop that I can't get out of. I got over it. I've even come to enjoy air travel, especially the parts people tend to complain about. I like how one exists in an airport. Every decision is made with the focus on just making it through the amount of time you'll be spending in the airport intact. I like the rigidity of lines and expectations and I like knowing how much my good cheer towards all surprises TSA employees. And I like even more when they respond back, infrequently I'll admit, with pent-up cheeriness. When my debut novel, Whitney, was published in November of 2013, I flew out to Moorhead, Minnesota for a release party thrown by the publisher, New Rivers Press. I left on a Wednesday at 7 a.m. I flew from LaGuardia to O'Hare and from O'Hare to Fargo, North Dakota. Moorhead was a short drive away. On Friday, when I came home, I left Fargo at 5.15 in the afternoon and flew to O'Hare and then from O'Hare to Atlanta and then finally, after six hours alone in the terminal overnight in Atlanta, Side note, I looked the tweets up that I wrote during that layover while I was writing this episode. All I can say is find them. They are hilarious. Finally, 
I made it back to LaGuardia. The trip was surreal. My biggest professional achievement to date. A flurry of activity and time spent alone in my head that I still remember in a textural way that I doubt I'll ever forget. But something happened. The smallest of moments that still means the world to me. On that first flight home, from North Dakota to Chicago, that was unforgettable. But first, let me tell you about this song that I heard. I was first introduced to the Long Winter's song, The Commander Thinks Aloud, two years ago, through the podcast, Roderick on the Line. The Roderick that's on the line, that's John Roderick, the creative force behind the band, The Long Winters. The show has a Project Mayhem-esque following. Thanks to a fellow Roderick on the Line fan on Twitter, I was able to pinpoint the exact episode, number 46, which was released on September 10th, 2012, titled Special, Origin of Roderick on the Line. What initially pulled me in was realizing that someone else out there listened to and insisted on others listening to music in the same very specific focused way that I do. I have to jump in here. <laughs> I was at your house. I guess you're right. We're at your mom's house. I remember sitting in the dining room and you were like, okay, like I've done before, I'm going to let you listen to this. <laughs> I'm going to let you listen to this. These are, these are the, <clears throat> I, so I think some of it was, when was, um, when was Departure and Teaspoon? What what era was? I know Teaspoon. Uh, that would have been two, early 2006. Okay, so we sit down. You've got like a CD or something, and we sit down. And every single time, you, and you've been very generous with letting me. There's, I, you've sent me stuff that's not out that I love. Mm-hmm. And like you would get so pissed <laughs> that I would not, like you, just sit and literally just listen to the music. Yeah. Eyes closed, head down. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I've done that with you. I've been like, you got to listen to this. And you're like, well, turn off the TV. Like, don't anything. And all I can hear is a little bit of from the bleed from the headphones and you breathing very, very loudly. I don't know if you know you do that very, very loudly. And you sit there and 100% of your attention goes to that. And I'm just thinking when you're committing something like the commander thinks aloud to um, <laughs> to tape to to hard drive, like mm-hmm. you must you really are thinking. I have to guess about some version of you sitting there with the headphones on, breathing heavily, and really focusing 100. percent And that, that's that's what you make though. You're you're not making you're not making stuff for somebody to listen to once on a jog and in a shuffle. You're you're trying to create some. I'm projecting here, but it well, strikes me that that's that's a big part of what you do. When I'm sitting in the studio, I'm absolutely making the music for the person that is either sitting in a dark room with their headphones on, listening to it with their eyes closed, or driving in a car with the stereo on super loud, driving through some vineyards like in Northern California. I mean, those are the characters. No wonder that, it takes you so long to put out a record. My that's God. Who I'm making it for. The vineyard but, people. <laughs> Later, Merlin Mann. The person on the other end of the line that Roderick's on asks what the commander thinks aloud one of the long winter's most well-known songs is about, which eventually leads to an as-in-depth explanation of the creative process as you'll get anywhere about a specific piece of art. Would, it, um, would we be uh, going too personal to talk a little bit about uh, 
these things? Uh, well, no, no. So it, uh, the the song was about the Col- the space shuttle Columbia, which is one of two space shuttles that crashed. The other one being the Challenger, but the Columbia is the one that disintegrated on re-entry, whereas the Challenger is the one that disintegrated shortly after launch. Right. Um. And uh, so. Yeah, I've I've had very I've had very interesting relationship to this song just recently. I mean, I, I it was one of those songs you get lucky sometimes and you write a song that has the has the uh, capacity to make you cry multiple times as you're performing it, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and I know that uh, all songwriters kind of there's one or two songs in their repertoire that if they really dig into it while they're performing it, they can they can get it can make them very emotional like it does the crowd. But uh, it's a, it, for for people who have not been with you since the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, people I encounter, it's uh, it's a lot of people's favorite long winter song. Yeah, and 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 I understand that. I, it's a uh, it's it's somewhat atypical uh, of a long winter song in that it doesn't have any guitars on it, and it's uh, does it have literally three chords. The ent- it's the same. It's like a three, one. It's a one chords. One five four. The whole song. Yeah, for six minutes long. But um. And 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 it's atypical of a long winter song in that it's about a real event that's that was on the news. It's one about a specific, yeah. uh, like a specific real world thing. It just seems yeah. like that's not your wheelhouse. Usually. Not normally, um, but this was this was a song. I, you know, the the uh, normally what I do is I I use metaphor to take a take small personal events and turn them into bigger things that we can use to talk about talk about real feelings you know and and that's what metaphor is so good at you can you can say well that 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 girl stepped on my toe and if i wrote a song that was like that girl stepped on my toe it would it would be a a jack black song first of all but it would be not a very interesting song for the long haul um but so you so you utilize metaphor and you you turn your you know you turn the girl into the Hungarians, and you turn your toe <laughs> into the uh, the great, you know, the Banat and the great steppes of Central Europe. And all of a sudden, you're writing a song that sounds very big, and and it's coming from a place that's very small. The Columbia was an event that was actual and big, and you couldn't metaphorize it. You know, there there was nothing you could you couldn't you couldn't use a metaphor because any metaphor you would use would be smaller than the actual thing. And as I was writing the song, I realized that you could that the Columbia was an actual event that you could you could both talk about in in really small, discrete, discrete little scenes, and it also it functioned as a kind of reverse metaphor like it what happened to them on that spaceship and how that spaceship crash affected us all it it in little ways was like uh, a relationship breaking up or like uh, you know like one person's life kind of seen from beginning to end and so it was it was um, it was sort of a reverse of what what normal songwriting would look like. After listening to the episode and hearing such an interesting backstory, I looked up the song. And after listening once, and then twice, and then three times, 
I kind of, as I'm known to, became obsessed with it. The mournful simplicity and repetition of the piano, the stuttering drums that seemed to mimic the shaky re-entry of the spaceship itself, the awful, awful line, the crew compartments breaking up, and that's just the song. The added bonus of having that director's commentary track from John Roderick only helped to further create a personal connection. It all looped around and around in my head for days, maybe even finding its way at one point into the same track my manufactured fear of flying had cycled around in almost a decade before. Fast forward in time to a little over a year later, to the trip that I mentioned already, my debut novel's release party in Moorhead, Minnesota. After it was all done, waiting in the terminal in Fargo to board my first of three flights home, I bought some souvenirs in the airport gift shop. For my wife, I bought a magnet with oil derricks on it that reads, Drill Baby Drill. And for myself, a bottle of water, a packet of ibuprofen, and a chicklage. We boarded and took off. We were on our way. In an hour or so, maybe a little longer, as we broke through the clouds and the lights of Chicago appeared, I pressed play on the Commander Thinks Aloud. It was on a playlist I'd made for the trip. One of my usual playlists. A collection that features intense emotional songs meant to induce mania or depression or both. A topic I'll be covering in a later episode. They're always the kind of songs that make me want to sit in the dark with my headphones on. Sitting in a dark room with headphones on. Now, some people might see listening to a song about an aeronautics disaster while flying on an airplane is not necessarily a smart idea. These are the emotional extremes that tend to exist in my life. And in my mind, that was never what the song at its emotional core seemed to be about. It always felt like an attempt to capture the wonderful frailty of human existence. The same magic and wonder that can strap people onto rockets and shoot them into outer space but can also snatch them from the living in the blink of an eye. Embracing that sensation, charging towards the thin white line that separates a life worth living from not a life, it's the exact sensation that I live for. All of the synapses firing and the music keeping pace with the action, but neither aware of the other. When it happens, I feel like I'm observing myself from outside of my body, watching, rather than feeling, my posture and my facial expression, my peripheral vision having gained several degrees on either side of my head. It was glorious, and as David Foster Wallace once said, on fire with the same force that lit the stars. Oh, and it's not a coincidence that a David Foster Wallace quote came to mind here. He's another one of my favorite mania-depression art sources. Soon, though, like all plain descents and beautifully intense moments, it was over. 
I cried, and we landed. And we landed. And we landed. Still on the tarmac, I tweeted at John Roderick. Listen to Commander Thinks Aloud as we descended into O'Hare, traveling home from my debut novel's launch. Thank you, at John Roderick. But I got no response. Reading it now, I realize how easily the message could have been misconstrued. How little I got across of what I felt at the time. The problem, as always, with words. I always wonder if in 20 years I will look back and describe right now by saying something like, I didn't know it then, but I was about to enter the most fruitful period of my creative life. Because that's the dream, isn't it? The best times are always just up ahead. It makes your current struggles worth it, sands down the rough edges of your disappointment of past successes having ended, and allows you to trudge on towards the future with some spring in your step. When I started writing the novel I'm currently at work on, I wanted to write about a family that had never been out of New York City, and really, just the Bronx and Manhattan. I wondered if it was plausible, in the 21st century, to create a family that never ventured outside of a 20 or 30 mile radius for the entirety of their lives. My mother didn't fly on an airplane until after she turned 50. My flight at 19 felt late, even if by family standards it was a stark improvement. I don't think my father's parents ever even flew on an airplane. Sometimes the things you can't believe are what have been staring you in the face all along. When John Roderick said, And you couldn't metaphorize it, you know, there, there was nothing you could, you couldn't, you couldn't use a metaphor because any metaphor you would use would be smaller than the actual thing. I connected immediately, but I didn't realize the extent to which it would resonate. I manufactured that moment on the plane. I knew before I started the song what the result would be. I knew it would wind me up, feed the flawed little receptors in my brain that, if we're looking at positive outcomes, allow me to write stories and essays and books and podcast scripts. But these are the same chemicals that power the down escalator as well. The one that descends into the depths of the abandoned mental hospitals inside of my head. The kind of places that people go with night vision goggles and video cameras looking for a scare. Looking for a scare. And I know that part of what I've got going on here is just my own brand of strange. It's one of those moments when my wife would give me her serious face and say, You know, you probably really should be in therapy. She'll probably do it when she listens to the first draft of this, before any of you hear it. But the problem is that I don't want to turn away. I want to take what I've gathered and create something that people should listen to in the dark on their headphones. Sitting in a dark room with their headphones on. I want them to understand that sometimes 
you're sure that you'll be afraid to fly on an airplane. But then you do. And eventually, you wind up having one of the best moments of your life on one. And if you're really lucky, that moment winds up being the start of something big. Perhaps the most fruitful period of your creative life. For more information about I Better Start Writing This Down, visit ibetterstart.net. If you want to support the show, pledge a dollar or two at patreon.com forward slash I Better Start. Not too long ago, I succeeded in my initial goal of funding the show to the tune of $100 per episode. One of those patrons was my mother, Jody Stracci. She was a patron of everything I did in my creative life, before Patreon was even a service. She died just before the release of episode 5, a tragedy I'm only starting to come to terms with. I said it before, but I just wanted to say it. I said it before, but I just wanted to say it again. Thanks, Mom. I Better Start Writing This Down is sponsored by Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com forward slash I Better Start, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial and help to support the show all at the same time. How great is that? Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from. One title that I think IBSWTB listeners would enjoy is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. A Prayer for Owen Meany was my mom's favorite novel. She always told me that I should read it, and I never did. I'm going to now, though. To download A Prayer for Owen Meany for free, go to audibletrial.com forward slash I better start. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash I better start to help support the show and in return receive a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. As always, there are two new mementos for this episode. Mementos number one is the Long Winter's EP Ultimatum. Memento number two is the Sony MDR 7506 which are really affordable, professional-grade headphones. The Long Winters are a terrific band. I think you'll enjoy their music. I know I do. And the headphones, those are the headphones I use to make the show. I like to think this show sounds pretty good regardless of how you listen, but it'll sound even better through those headphones. So buy a pair and improve your IBS WTD experience and help support I Better Start Writing This Down at the same time. Remember, to support the show by purchasing the mementos, you have to use the memento URLs, which you can find on ibetterstart.net, as well as in this episode's show notes, if your podcast app supports that feature. I Better Start Writing This Down has a brawny social media presence. Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, we're everywhere. All you need to remember, our username in all of those spaces, I better start. 
that's it. Hopefully, you wrote it down. So what else were we talking about before? Where did we go yesterday that we had so much fun? Story time? Go. What kind of, what, did we get a book after story time? What kind of, what kind of book did we get? A tractor book? listening to this later joe this is where the audio is going to come in about sitting in a dark room with their headphones on listening to it with their eyes closed (coughs) why did i decide to record this episode when i was sick tell me again anybody i'm sitting in a room alone talking to myself I'm going to record that again. I like how that sounded.